0: Just you take your Bible, the Bible that you brought with you, or the Bible that's there in the pew. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, or you have someone in your life who you want to give a Bible to, take that Bible in the pew today as our gift to you. And open up to the book of Acts chapter 9, that's page 750 in that Bible. And if you have a phone or a tablet, you want to be techie, just go to the UVersion Bible app, tap events, Grace Lutheran Church will come up and you'll find the scripture that we're looking at today. And we also want to acknowledge those who are with us on live stream. Happy Easter to you as well. As you're finding Acts chapter 9, something I was reflecting on, do you remember when, when we're kids, this thing that we do, when we're kids, whenever we're about to do something really big, like, I don't know, jump into a pool, or, you know, begin a game of tag, or set off on some great adventure, before we start, we always count, right? We count to three. One, two, three. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a rough morning, people. Come on. One, two, three. All right, you're better, better. Now, I, I'm not sure where that comes from, you know? I'm not sure where, to, where that comes from, that, just that habit that we have. Maybe it comes from our dad. And by that I mean our heavenly father because if you stop and think about it, it's been quite the last three days. And if you haven't been present, and that's okay for all of them, let me count them down for you. Let, them count, let me count them down for us. One, in the darkness, the hate, the violence, and the evil of Friday, we confronted the truth, that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, that we are not the way we're supposed to be. Our our pleasure, our privilege, comes at the expense of someone else. And even when the price of our gain comes at the cost of another person's loss, it doesn't just hurt them. It inevitably, somewhere down the line, takes its toll on us too. But we deny this truth and our denial of this truth, all of our baggage that we nail Jesus to the cross with, those pretty little lies that we tell ourselves, the fault we always seem to find with everybody else but not us, reveal just how far we'll go to hide from this truth, how far gone we are. And all of that is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is not what God wanted for us. Sin is not what God created us for. And that's why the truth of Friday, what makes it good, is God in Christ willingly took all that blame, that guilt, that shame upon himself, lovingly forgiving us every step of the way to set us free from all of it. Two, Jesus loved us to death. And yesterday, the day after Friday, we sat in the consequence of that. That we just killed our last best hope. As our long-awaited Messiah became like everyone else does. A cold, lifeless body covered with linen and buried in a tomb. And we were left with the worst ending imaginable. A love that may rival the reach of evil, but cannot break its deadly grasp. Forgiveness that may be music to our ears, but ultimately that gets muted by sin's ultimate power which is death. And if this is where the story ends, it's a disappointing and unfulfilling finish. But of course, we're here this morning because we believe, we know, what those who were first there didn't. This story is just getting started. One, two, three. God is not dead. Jesus conquered death to offer us a life better than ever. A life that changes everything. Today we're talking about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, back when it first happened, the announcement Jesus is alive, Christ is risen from the grave, was difficult for many people to honestly and fully accept. And it still is. So we're gonna look today at a resurrection story. A resurrection story that happens after the resurrection story that brings us here today. Today, as a way of considering where we stand in light of the gospel, this good news, we're going to reflect on the varying postures of two people who encountered the risen Christ, one from a place of disbelief, and the other from a place of not really getting it. So if you have those Bibles open, hear and follow along as I read from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I have heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, "'and and he's come here with authority from the chief priests "'to arrest all who call on your name.' "'But the Lord said to Ananias, "'Go, this man is my chosen instrument "'to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings "'and before the people of Israel. "'I will show him how much he must suffer for my name.' Then Ananias went to the house, and entering it, he placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Saul didn't believe it. Ananias didn't get it. Which one of them do we relate to this morning? Saul, who would be later more famously known as the Apostle Paul, didn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. It was too impossible, a stumbling block to any theologically sound Jew like Saul. Messiahs aren't cursed, God can't die, and so he fought back hard against those who believed otherwise. Saul made it his mission, as you heard, to shut up and to shut down anyone professing such nonsense like Jesus was God, the Messiah, or that Christ, after being crucified, had risen from the grave. Saul didn't believe it. And like Saul, some of us don't believe what we're celebrating today, either. Still, 2,000, more than 2,000 years later, The resurrection of Christ remains an impossible leap of faith, still beyond what most people are prepared to accept. Why? Why don't we believe it? Well, I think the primary reason is because, let's face it, death is our biggest and scariest adversary. Death is so big and so scary, we don't like to talk about it. We try to ignore it and act like it isn't there. We work hard to avoid it. Even sometimes telling ourselves, we've got all the time we want. It can happen to us. And yet, despite all of our efforts to convince ourselves otherwise, practically, deep down, we know, we experience death as a constant in our lives. There are two things in life that are certain, right? Death and taxes. Taxes are coming up, by the way, just in case you didn't forget. Everything, even taxes, can be fixed death cannot. The best doctors can artificially keep a heart pumping, lungs working, even a mind functionally operating, but they can't artificially keep a life living. No matter how long we prolong life, it still ends in death. The best life insurance policy money can buy won't be able to keep any of us alive. Sooner or later, death comes for us all. We can take control of a lot of things in life, and some of us do, but death is not one of them. And it's no laughing matter. As a universal constant, as the great equalizer, death can and does cause us a great deal of fear and worry. And that's why some of us, therefore, have decided to embrace death. Facing such a seemingly impossible foe, some choose to call death a friend encouraging others to face death with peaceful resignation, to embrace death positively, to die a good death. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ defies any such posture towards death. Jesus' refusal to remain in the tomb is an act of defiance, confirming death as our greatest enemy. Death stands as the end-all, be-all manifestation, the summary of what's in this world and in our lives of things not being the way they're supposed to be we were not meant to die deep down in our bones we sense this don't we we sense this so much so that we were not meant to die that we feel betrayed by death as it begins to creep into our health and take away from our daily lives we begin to feel betrayed by death before it even takes our last breath And we are shocked by the injustice of death when any life is cut short, when any life ends, even when someone has lived, as we like to say, a long, good life. We still grieve their absence, finding it not easy but hard to live without them. Even while we're thankful for the time we shared with them on this earth, we still wish there didn't have to be any limit to our time with them. Death is not natural, death is not our friend. Still, we might push back. Well, you know, death we know, okay? Death we've experienced. Resurrection, not so much. Not yet, anyway. Maybe some of us here today are like Mary, who was first at the empty tomb, and we suspect grave robbery. Perhaps like Thomas, we're like Thomas, who missed Jesus' first resurrection appearance to the rest of the disciples, and like Thomas, we won't believe it until we see it. How can we know the resurrection is true on this side of things? If this is you, I encourage you this morning to spend some time today doubting your doubts because Jesus honors doubters. He doesn't reprimand Mary for having suspicions. Contrary to how we often tell it, Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas saying, oh, you of little faith. Jesus draws near to both Mary and Thomas and calls them by name. He walks up to both of them in their disbelief and says, here I am. M. So analyze your assumptions. There's a lot riding on this. Consider all the angles here. Remember for a moment that no one, not Mary, not Peter, none of the other disciples expected Jesus to rise from the dead. These were people like us who were well acquainted with the reality that dead people don't live again. What other than an actual physical resurrection could have convinced them otherwise? Ask yourself if those who were first there really didn't see Jesus resurrected. If it was all a hoax or a group delusion or just some terrible misunderstanding, would all those who first followed Jesus have been willing to face persecution, mental and physical anguish, and for most of them, a martyr's death? They would have betrayed such a faith, a religion built on nothing more than what they wanted to believe. They would have feared death, not faced it so fearlessly. Of course, maybe you're thinking, well, all of them, even Saul and Ananias, they actually encountered the risen Christ. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him. I haven't. To this I say, have your doubts. Raise your questions, do your research, but all the while, look and listen for the voice of Jesus calling your name, showing up right in front of you because he will. With Mary, with Thomas, the two men walking on the road to Emmaus, Saul on his way to Damascus, Ananias, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer and his family, Jesus showed up and they recognized him. He still works the same way. If you're really, honestly, seeking, looking for Jesus, you will find him. Because after all, Jesus conquered death. Jesus lives because he's looking for you. Some of us don't believe it, but others of us, we say we believe it, that Jesus is risen from the dead, but we really don't get it. We don't get it. We don't get that Jesus wasn't resuscitated. Jesus wasn't mostly dead and slightly alive. Jesus was a corpse. Confirmed dead by the Romans, prepared for burial by several witnesses. This wasn't some near-death experience. Jesus didn't see the light and then come back to life, only to fully and truly die eventually. No, Jesus was resurrected. Jesus, as the light that overcomes the darkness, shattered death's grip and rose forth to institute a new kind of life. Not spirits released from our bodies. Jesus was no ghost. Jesus appeared with a physical, resurrected body. He ate, he could be touched, he embraced others, and yet, Jesus appeared in a new bodily form that was distinct from what existed before, not subject to the limits, laws, and corruptions of this life. This is important. Why this matters is Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits, the sign of the eternal life We and all of creation were made for the eternal life we can have with our creator, our father. Still, we say we believe Jesus was resurrected, but we tend to talk about Jesus living in more of an ethereal sort of way, don't we? You know, we speak about Jesus more like an idea or a memory rather than as a real living person. I mean, we appeal to his teachings. We applaud and seek to emulate his example. We come to the waters of baptism or to the table of Holy Communion in remembrance of him. We drop his name in our prayers now and again. We talk a lot about Jesus. But most of us don't actually expect him to show up in the room. And so we treat Jesus like any other loved one who has died. We speak of the legacy of Jesus, the character of Christ, the model of Jesus Christ, rather than the risen, living person. Beloved, hear me again. Jesus isn't a philosophy. Jesus isn't a memory. Jesus isn't a character study. Christ is risen. Jesus lives. But then where do we find the resurrected Jesus Christ? Where do we find the resurrected Jesus Christ? I'll tell you. Turn and stare at your neighbor. I'm serious. Turn. Stare at the people around you. I can see if your necks are moving. (laughs) Look up. Look over. Look into the face of that person you know this morning or that random stranger. Look up. Look over to that person who stopped next to you waiting for the light to turn green like you. Look up, look over to that person who's taking your order at that restaurant you frequent. Look up, look over to the person standing next to you in that line at Costco. Look up, look over to that person who passes by you walking their dog in your neighborhood. Look up, look over to that person who's sharing the row with you on that next flight you take. Look up, look over, look closely and you will see the person of the risen Christ because that's where he is. Don't believe me? Read the story. As the risen Christ, Jesus came incognito to the first disciples, and so he often comes into our lives very often as a stranger. The living Jesus comes at unexpected times and unforeseen ways. Frequently, he meets us when we're not looking for him at all, when we're not all put together like today, when we haven't just been praying like we have, when our mind isn't on him as it is right now, when our heart belongs to something else. Don't believe me? Ask Ananias. He was just going about his business, right? Otherwise occupied with the stuff of our everyday existence when Jesus came knocking on the door of his life. Ananias didn't really get it. As Jesus told him to go help the murderous Saul, someone whose reputation for tormenting other Christians preceded him. Understand, my friends, the risen Christ comes to us. It's not we who can summon him. Jesus calls and we follow And often he approaches us in the ordinary, everyday, and not particularly religious moments of our lives. Mary was getting ready for burial duties when Jesus showed up. The two Emmaus-bound disciples were just walking along the road trying to get home when Jesus appeared in front of them. Peter and his fellow fishermen had gone back to work when Jesus appeared. We encounter the living Christ the living Jesus already present, already working in the spaces where we live. In the spaces where there is pain, where there is fear, where there is doubt, where there is pride, where there is injustice in our lives. And we'll recognize the risen Christ when we humbly wait for him. When we open space in our lives, when we enter into those moments right in front of us, when we receive him as he is, wherever he is, by embracing and loving and serving our neighbor as ourselves, there is not always a voice to be heard. There is not always a vision to be seen, but there is always another hand to hold There is always another meal to be shared. There is always another cup of cold water to offer. There is always another acknowledgement to be made of the dignity and worth of another person. And in those close encounters, the living Jesus will always be discovered. We don't really believe it. Some of us don't really get it. But the real question this morning is do we really want to be changed? The real question is do we really want to be changed? One man named Saul had his doubts. Another man named Ananias believed but struggled with following where that belief would take him. Saul thought he was protecting and defending God by silencing those who were wrong and purging those who didn't belong and then the risen Jesus showed up. The resurrected Christ let Saul know that God doesn't need protecting or defending. God needs to be reflected and represented rightly, not by persecuting others, but through loving them, not by stoning people to death, but by bringing them back to life. And then Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, was profoundly changed, and he became perhaps the greatest follower of Christ ever. Ananias thought he got it, right? He was keeping his nose out of trouble by staying away from any risk or controversy, and then the risen Christ came calling came calling to let Ananias, um, hey Ananias, I meant what I said. The resurrected Christ informed Ananias that he was indeed going to change hearts and minds. He was in fact going to transform lives. He was going to turn perceived enemies into friends of God. And he, Jesus, was going to do such things through ordinary, everyday people like him, like Ananias, Did you catch this when I was reading the story? Do you notice after encountering Jesus, both of these men were called to rise and go? Rise and go. To rise is to leave behind your old life as you trade it for Jesus' life. In this moment, both Saul and Ananias' lives began to be transformed from who they were to who they were meant to become through Christ. In other words, in this moment, they were were resurrected where do you need to be resurrected today where do you need to be resurrected because if you haven't caught this yet here's the thing Easter isn't only about celebrating Jesus's resurrection Easter is about recognizing and embracing the opportunity for ours. Jesus will meet you on the road whatever road you're on even if you're going the wrong way just ask Saul Jesus will find you and call you in the comforts and confines of your own home, even as you may think you already get it, even as you think you've got him, even as you think you understand what he has in store for your life. Just ask Ananias. Where do you need to be resurrected? Because the risen Christ can meet you wherever you are. The question is, are we willing to be changed To be transformed. Too many of us stop at the cross. We want to be loved? Oh yeah. We want to be forgiven? Absolutely. We want to be saved by God in Christ on the cross. Who doesn't? But we're not sure we want to be changed. That we're willing to go through the tomb. To die to ourselves and be transformed. And my friends, I'm here to tell you. Don't kid yourselves. Don't miss what's right in front of you. Jesus didn't just come to tell us that God loves us. Which he does. Jesus didn't just embrace the cross so that we could know we're forgiven, which we are. Jesus didn't just put death in its grave so that you and I would go on living and working for the weekend, clutching, grasping, and gasping to make our way in the world, breathing a little easier because our heavenly reservation has been taken care of. Rest assured that death part, when it comes, will only last for a moment and then it's on to glory. No. God came down in Christ, offered his life for us, for you, conquered death for everyone, and established a new life for all so that we could, so that we would start living that new life, sharing that abundant, full, everlasting, ever-loving life today. Today, ask yourself, what if, I'm serious, What if Jesus lives, what if his life, this resurrected life, is really yours to have? What if the Lord's strength could be found in your weakness? What if you're not limited by where you've been or what you've gone through before? What if, by God's grace, you could truly rise beyond your failures? What if you didn't have to remain living in your past, haunted by it, bemoaning that your best days are behind you? What if through the power of the Holy Spirit you had another life to live today? A fuller, more abundant state of being, one of joy, of peace and wholeness, untouchable by pain, suffering, or even death. Beloved, the headline of the gospel, what makes it news and makes it good is this. Jesus conquers death demonstrating once and for all his, long, his love is strong enough to change lives and to save the world. This isn't fake news. The resurrection of Jesus proves once and for all that Jesus alone has the power and authority to forgive sins, to eternally suspend the sentence of death that hangs over us, and to set everything right in all creation. So we got to stop. we got to stop. Facing each day like we're preparing for a funeral, waiting for the other shoe to drop, afraid of what's around the corner, anticipating the worst, and therefore existing in a mood of perpetual anxiety and despair. We gotta rise up because living the resurrected life is staring death and darkness down with confidence because we know Jesus Christ has risen, risen indeed. This isn't some April Fool's joke. It's the cornerstone of our message, the baseline of our salvation song, the seedbed of the dawns of a new heavens and a new earth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ breaks the circle, the circle of life wide open through an empty tomb in a garden, and the gospel suddenly becomes even bigger than we imagined. Not just life after death, but life beyond death. The time is now to rise up and to conceive a new, fresh horizon where all of our dreams of a different life, a better world, can be realized with boundless hope and endless expectation in Jesus. Thanks to the risen Christ, the ending is always the beginning for us, the beginning of the next chapter, a new chapter of life that just keeps on being written. One, two, three, go! As the risen Christ, Christ is among us, let us as the body of Christ continue to rise in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in courageous faith and witness, rise with the truth spoken made flesh in love, rise with the love of Jesus that loves us to death, that makes us more than conquerors, that loves us through death and beyond, let us rise to our life everlasting, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed let us truly believe it let us finally get it And let's start actually living it today because if Jesus lives and we follow him, so will we. Amen.